Coming at you live from the auspicious sexual awakening of many a Canadian boy and girl, it's Cartoon Night in Canada. Hey, what you watching? Got a problem with Cartoon? Canada, a nostalgic podcast where we dig through the animated past to find what cartoons made here in Canada are worth remembering. I'm your co-host Chris Lucy Antonio. And I'm your co-host Sylvie Kettles. And for the last time, it's, it's still Friday. Technically. 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 Because this episode will be, we will be releasing July 1st. Yeah, but um, we don't need to celebrate that. No, no. <laughs> I just realized what day this is coming out. Wow. <laughs> Whoops. Why would we celebrate that when we could instead... Watch some more gay shit. Yeah, it's officially June 32nd. How many days are in June? I don't know anything. June only has 30, so it'll be June 31st. Fantastic. There we go. I know, I know my days of the month. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we are officially, unofficially extending Pride for one more day, much as we did for Halloween. Two very, very queer celebrations. For, for very important reason. For the dumbest possible reason, really. Because, hey, hey, audience, it's episode 69, baby. This was the only long-term <laughs> booking we have ever done for this podcast, I've, by the way. We had this, I think you mentioned it back in September. Maybe even before that. Maybe even before that, because I feel like around episode 20 or something, when we were kind of reaching a stride, we maybe talked about, like, so when are we going to do Cyber 6? And it's like, hmm. Episode 69. There, there, is, there is a specific number that <laughs> that's very, very uh, nice. Because we are extremely mature adults. We, and professionals. We're Don't forget professionals. that. professionals, yeah. We, we have taken this Pride Month, this well-programmed Pride Month, to new levels of professionalism for Cartoon Night in Canada. And... It's only appropriate we end not we end on a double layer of meaning where not only was this program not even for Pride Month, it just happened to fall because the gays keep winning. But also not because it's not going to be in June. It's June <laughs> right now as we are recording. It's June. Ah, uh, God, I you know what I would not have it any other way. This is, again, this is our guarantee to you that we will never improve our work ethic. Yeah, that's, that's a promise. We work very hard at that. Ironically. <laughs> if by episode 69 you're not sure about our work ethic, I hate to tell you, but it's not going to get better. <laughs> hey, our work ethic is wonderful. Some would even say it's nice. It's very nice. Shall we?
So, on today's podcast, we are taking on another big hitter, a legendary cult series that has only grown in stature since its release and unceremonious canceling. It's Cyber Six. Woo! Finally, finally. We, we, we made it. 69 episodes and we finally get to the good shit. <sighs> Fucking nice. So, it was based on an extremely horny Argentinian comic of the same name by Carlos Miglia and Carlos Trillo, which made it its serialized debut in 1991 in the publication Scorpio, which was an adult comic magazine which, you know what, go look up at your own risk. A lot of nudity. Oodles, A lot of nudity. A lot of extreme violence and nudity. And the Cyber 6 comic series would go on to be published in traditional comic book releases up until 1999. The series that we're talking about was produced by the Vancouver Production House with the most uninspiring and ungoogleable names you've ever heard in your life, Network of Animation or NOAA. I could not find a single shred of information on this production facility or if it even existed. So to that, did it even exist? So, I was able to find one link to a weird business directory website that was asking me to subscribe for like $9.99 a month to find all the information on Network of Animation, and I was not going to give my credit card information to that website. Don't worry about it. I didn't. <laughs> okay, that's, yeah, that's probably the, the wise way to go. So, unfortunately, I don't know any of the other credits of Network of Animation. Well, we haven't come across it yet. And probably never will. Probably not. I mean, we might one day. We have... They might have been involved in Bakugan in some capacity. Oh, that would only make sense yeah. because um, the other big player in Cyber 6, it was almost exclusively animated in Japan by a studio you may have heard of. Uh... TMS, or Tokyo Movie Shinsha Entertainment. I don't know. I don't know anything about anime or animation studios in Japan. You lie. I don't, I don't think I That know. is a bald face. You are lying <laughs> through your fucking teeth. I don't know if I've ever heard of TMS. Sylvie, it is pride. You have to be true to yourself in all forms. Oh, that's true. No, TMS also did Lupin the Third of the woman called Fujiko Mine. I can't lie. Not only Lupin the Third, but Detective Conan, Fruit Baskets, fucking Acura. Yeah, you, you know that movie. Turns out you literally cannot discuss the history of anime without brushing upon TMS and then going, "Oh shit, y'all did every famous thing that I've heard of." And not only on the anime side, but they were integral to the productions of some of the most famous and beloved 90s cartoons that were produced in the West. You got Animaniacs, DuckTales, Batman the Animated Series, Tiny, uh, Toons. Tiny Toons. They were they were instrumental in many of your childhoods. Yeah. And your awkward adult years as well. Well, yeah, because that's also the era where like you kind of double back to and go, shit, that, that stuff looks good. They are the one, like, they were the company that you can actually go back to their old products and say, and when you make the statement, like, it was better when I was a kid. Like, yeah, Batman the Animated Series is better than most of the shows produced today. Just flat out. I'm sorry. Uh, they also they also did work for um, uh, Gargoyles. Makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Like, 
they were in they were in with both Steven Spielberg and Disney. They were untouchable in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, but, but then they did this. Yes, yeah, Cyber Six, one of the lesser-known shows they provided animation for, which premiered on Teletoon in September of 1999 and ended its run in October of the same year. Ripped, ripped to a real one. Lasting 13 very expensive episodes that garnered little to no viewership here in Canada. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those true cult classic things where you definitely didn't watch it when it first aired. No. No, no, no. Like you you caught it in syndication. A, a few hundred people did. This is one of those uh this is one of those shows produced here in Canada where there is a likelihood that when you bring it up, most other like Canadian people of your generation would not have seen it. Yeah. Like it that's like unlike the other examples where they have these like hazy memories like holy shit Angela Anaconda, what the fuck? Like, this is not going to unlock any memories for people. Maybe... Unless. Unless. <laughs> unless you stumble across the person who's like, yeah, it was my sexual awakening. Yes, unless it was instrumental in something in their identity or their uh, leanings. <laughs> it's not going to come up a lot. Yeah. And there's a, there's a reason for that. Uh, we'll get into later, but... This would be one of the last, an interesting note, this would be one of the last Western shows that TMS would provide outsourced animation for as moving into the 2000s because, like, the rising cost of these Western productions and the demands of their own in-house productions, which were also very, very successful, by the way. Yeah, TMS... They just stopped doing it. Yeah, TMS never stopped doing their own shit. They were just also doing our shit on top of that. And all of it was such incredible quality. Yeah. I, like, that was unsustainable. I can only imagine the horrific conditions the animators were working under. What? It was just a it was just a production anime production house in the nineties. How bad could it be? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? No, 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 no. It's not like there are multiple horror stories about the about time crunch. It's not like the Japanese anime industry has like a condition where people are dying of overwork. That's not a cultural thing there, no. No. Cultural thing that was that was brought in by the states. <laughs> uh, and just really, really quickly, before we get into the, ep- the episode proper, this is not the first adaptation of Meglia's and Trilio's comic. There was a live-action Argentinian adaptation that aired in 1995 for, like, a couple of unsuccessful episodes, which you can watch right now on YouTube. Oh, shit. And you should. Sylvie, have you seen it? I have not. I did hear about it when I was doing my research. It was like, a, okay, noted. There was another adaptation. Oh. Okay, okay. This makes the... This makes the Batman uh, 60s series with Adam West look like the Dark Knight in terms of production quality. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. This is the most incredibly cheap and slapdash show I've ever seen like they were not prepared to adapt this series as it is in the comic to a live action format but god bless them they tried and it's wonderful but is she hot yes okay that's don't don't that was that even a question i mean that was i don't know (laughs) maybe maybe it was i don't know maybe it was going to be a case of like the director's wife want desperately wanted to star in something i don't know no okay no 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 if there's one thing they could not fuck up with the translation it's like nah we have to 
we have to preserve the hotness of this character. Be fucking hot. Why even bother if we if we fuck up that one simple appeal? Are you looking it up right now? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Alright. I'm on board. I will I will watch this this episode when when we're done here. I, I watched the first episode. It's it's wonderfully sleazy as well as cheap, but there's also some weird craft going on where it's like we're making the best of an impossible situation. Love to hear it. Great. Yeah. That that is notably my favorite kind of filmmaking. And for today's podcast, we took a look at episode 5, Lori is Missing, directed by Keichiro Furuya and written by Jono Howard. The episode aired on September 25th, 1999. Sylvie. Ah. So, this is a television show, so obviously you have no nostalgic memory specifically about it, but you were aware of Cybersex. Yes. Uh, I believe I became aware of it at some point in university. I don't know who brought it up or where I stumbled across it. Was it me? It might have. Honestly, it might have been. It might have been me. That's entirely possible. <laughs> I, I, take it, I take it you have a lot of memories of this show. No. No. No? No, 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 not, no. This, not one? This is not something that I like. Um, harbored specifically uh, in the back of my brain. This is not something that I, like, bring up awkwardly a lot to people and get weird concerned stares. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you would never. Like, female androids who's fighting Nazis? What are you talking about? What? Cross-dressing. That's, that's not something you'd be into. No, no, no. It, it wasn't instrumental in uh, forming part of my personality. <laughs> not at all. But, yes, I... I don't really remember my initial reaction to seeing the show other than I was very into shows like Batman the Animated Series at the time. Mm -hmm. So stuff with a darker edge as a uh, edgelord little kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's instrumental again. And seeing Cyber Six uh, pop up and it's like, wow, this has this has an edge to it. And there's something about that main character. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I, I, I'm liking a lot of what I'm seeing. Something about the the outfit. God, I I understand everything here is extremely like just horny and stuff. I'm horny for the cape. <laughs> the the fucking animation <laughs> on that cape is sexy. It's it's incredible. It's. It's where you can re. It's where you can put the pieces together and realize, like, oh, that's where the budget went. That's why every episode cost like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in ninety nine, nineteen ninety nine money and up. Yeah. Okay. One sec. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna do an inflation. I'm very curious to hear this. Uh, this number. Okay. About three hundred thousand dollars in nineteen ninety nine would cost about five hundred seven thousand dollars today. Okay, so, not as much as, of an inflation I was still, expecting. Half but a million like, dollars per episode. For something that nobody watched. Yeah, that's that's an expensive show. Based off an obscure Argentinian comic, obscure for the West and Japan, Argentinian comic that was extremely not for kids. But we're going to put it on Teletoon. We're going to find a way to tone it down for a kid show and... Whew, 
man. I mean, they did. They did. There's some there's some elements here that have remained intact between the between like the original and this adaptation, but yeah, it's it's insane that they would put that much money, like half a million dollars an episode for this. Yeah. I mean, the 90s were a different time. They were look, looking for anything. Yeah, the 90s it was definitely the time of we're just going to we're going to throw a lot of money at something extremely experimental and then it's not going to work and we're just going to abandon it. We're going to throw one more project on TMS's growing pile of productions they're involved in. They, they can do it. Ah, what's one more uh, overworked-to-death animator? Yeah. What's... They'll, just, they'll just get another. <laughs> there's enough, oh, that was bleak. There's enough, like... See, that's the, the, the heartbreaking thing about the animation industry is that there's always going to be some other, like starry-eyed animation hopeful who just wants to make something wonderful. I, I, I don't want to get into it, but the Across the Spider-Verse news has been oh, really devastating. That was fucking heartbreaking. I mean, we're not... I'm not surprised, but I was hopeful that it wasn't going to be it, the same story again. Exactly. And that's like, it's... Like, I officially do not want to get Beyond the Spider-Verse in 2024. I'm happy to wait, like, five years However long it takes. Yeah. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Fuck you, Phil Lord. Yeah. Or is it Miller? No, it was Lord, right? It was Lord. It was Lord. Yeah. Fuck you, Phil Lord. Treat people with respect. But anyway. But anyway, we're talking about Cyber Six. So, this is really po- impossible to do, but what is this show about? So, largely, it's about this, this uh, android character, Cyber Six, who was one of about 5,000 androids created by this uh, Nazi scientist in Argentina. Gonna stop you right there. Uh Uh-huh. This is a kid show. Yep. (laughs) That is playing off of the very real war history of South America being a refuge for ex-Nazis. Yep. I I mean, it is an Argentinian comic. So, like, that feels like something that Trio and uh, Megia were sort of, like, looking at as they're working on it. It's just like, hey, fuck, there's so many fucking Nazis around here, eh? There, there's, like, there's, there's little communities in, like, places in South America that are, like, Little Bavaria. Because there was just a huge influx of weirdly German people here. Yeah. Wasn't there that, that one, like, small town where one of the scientists... Uh, fled to, and now that town has, like, a population with so many fucking twins because he kept doing his experiments. I, and, yeah, that's that's the premise of Cyber 6, essentially, is that an exiled SS Nazi uh, continued his, his, his experiments where apparently Hitler just wanted a controllable race of ubermensch cyborgs. Yeah. So, so he makes 5,000 cybers um, destroys most of them. Whenever they, like, achieve sentience or, like, disobey his orders, like, the, the main Nazi name, like, it's a, it's a really stereotypical Nazi, like, von Reichter. Yes. When, whenever they, um, the, the, the cybers get out of line, him and his psychotic little child clone, Jose, destroy them. Yep. And they all have the same haircut. They do, don't they? Yeah, that's, that's, all the cybers just kind of look like that. 
Uh, they're clones. They are yeah. all like weird. They're weird cyborg clones. Yeah. I don't understand it. It's it's sci-fi. We don't really need to. It's it's like soft sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. And weirdly, this adaptation, um, due to the fact that it's a toned-down version of a kid show, a lot of detail is missing. Yeah, because that's not exactly something that either for time constraints or because it's a deeply uh, troubling backstory <laughs> they don't want to really get into it you're going to be introducing kids to like the concept of the boys in brazil and it's like that's opening up a can of worms it's like what so hold on st- step back who was yosef mengala <laughs> it's it's a whole like cycle of conversations you don't want to have with your nine-year-old exactly who just wants to watch a pretty main character in the leather outfit yeah <laughs> another conversation that parents don't really want to have you know what? You're right. We should cancel this series after the first <laughs> after the first season. Yeah. Um, so our our series follows one of these five thousand cybers, uh, the sixth one, aptly named Cyber Six, um, who has fled from Dr. Von Reichter and is currently uh, living hiding under the guise of a um, of a, a a male teacher named Adrian Siedelman. The, the series is, like, um, split between two kind of storylines. It's Adrian slash Cyber Six attempting to keep their keep their identity under wraps while exploring some interpersonal relationships with the people in his, her life, and as well as routinely thwarting Von Reichter and Jose's efforts to take over the world uh, by becoming a leather-clad superhero. It's classic superhero stuff with with just a little bit of a kinky twist. Yeah, and when you hear that, it's like, yeah, that not only is that perfect for the late 90s when yep. <laughs> edgy superheroes were in, but also how has this not come back in any way, shape, or form now that we're in the new boom of superhero media? I will tell you why, because this has too much sex for that. Yeah, it's, it's too horny. No one wants to touch it. Superhero movies nowadays are completely sexless. Which is a shame. Yeah, yes it is. Like yeah. I, I, I don't say I don't think that would be the thing that gets me into the theater for the next DC or Marvel movie, Absolutely but not. couldn't hurt. It would get me in for Cyber for Cyber Six though. Oh yes, the the major blockbuster movie Cyber Six. I want X rated. I want R-rated, uh, an R-rated superhero movie again. Not Deadpool R-rated. No, no, it's Deadpool. You want Deadpool. No, That's I what want, you get. That's I what you get. I want the R-rated cut of Venom Let There Be Carnage. Something like that. That would be nice. Yeah. Or just a return to, like, the cartoonish brutality of Punisher Warzone. Yeah. So, something close to that. Give me R-rated Cyber 6 right now. And think about it. We... We are in a time when we could really use an Antifa super soldier murdering Nazis. Right? Marvel already we... shat the bed by get, getting really, like, wishy-washy about, um, with, with Captain America being like, well, actually, no, it's not the Nazis that are bad, it's Hydra. So, like, they've already become cowards about it. Let's try it again. And do it right. Yeah. 
so yeah, I guess that's the the main basic premise of Cyber Six. Uh, shall we talk a bit about why it has resonated with queer communities to this day? Uh, because it's it's got to come down to the design of Cyber Six, like because one. yeah, number one, you've got this female character living a, a double life where um, they cross dress as as a, a male teacher who because there's something about because of this design like because cyber six does not change physically there's no like transformation sequence where where like adrian becomes a woman so so basically this design has to pass as both male and female very easily and it's, it's very androgynous yeah. yeah so you've got this very androgynous figure that hilariously um when uh, just just looks trans femme as Cyber Six and trans mask as Adrian, and in both cases has the exact same voice, more or less. Yes, there is no attempt to uh, like attach an affectation to the voice or, that or uh, the actress is doing. Yes, and there there is something to be said specifically on why it would say resonate with a lot of trans audiences which mm -hmm. it has there are there are plenty of essays of uh of trans people who are really charitable to this series but there's something about a narrative where it follows a person who has to inhabit another gender identity during the day because they are afraid of being exposed to a fascistic figure yeah and there's I don't know if it was intentional, Living in fear. but it's a little on the nose. Yeah, it it is having that figure, that uh, gender bending figure, not only fight against that that fascistic figure, uh, the, the this very clear Nazi figure von mm -hmm. Richter, but also have it so that they carry on multiple forms of interpersonal relationship with both genders in each different identity. Yeah. Yeah, Ad Adrian has relationships with characters and also Cyber Six has, rela has relationships with those same characters. And in both cases, it's kind of romantic coded. It's... No matter what gender that the character Cyber Six yeah. is presenting. I I truly love... I also watched the rewatched like the first episode of this series. I love the, like, soft, romantic atmosphere that Adrian and, and Lucas have together. Like, they try... It's there. They, they write that, like, yeah, Lucas thinks that Cyber Six is hot, and, like, I think they only, like, they do kiss in, like, when she is Cyber Six. But, like, Lucas and Adrian just have, like, this soft, uh, domestic life together. It's a really intense, affectionate bromance, and you you put the pieces together and wonder like he must like know. I don't. Or I mean, he, he must suspect. Because like in this in this episode, he's like deeply hurt that he thinks that Adrian is dating Cyber Six. Right, because he has spoken to Adrian about that uh, by his attraction to Cyber Six, mm -hmm. but also. It's weirdly, it's it's a weird lover's jealousy for your best friend there. Yeah. Like, he's hurt because he's attracted to Cyber Six and he thinks they're dating, but he's also hurt because it's like, but 
Are you cheating on me? Yeah, it, it's weirdly coded as a, like, homosocial romance. Yeah. And the more you read into it, and the more, like, trans critics have read into it, it's like, they have they have seen themselves in similar situations using Adrian as, like, as, like, an avatar for their own experiences. Mm. Like, it's... It's weirdly progressive for 1999. Yeah, and it's it's one of those, like, I don't even know if it's trying to be. I think it's just accidentally telling a story that is resonating with a lot of trans people. Yeah, like, the, the really interesting thing that I read up on, uh, there's a great essay that I'll just plug right now. Oh, yeah. uh, it's on a website I don't know the pedigree of. It's called Anime Feminist, but um, oh, love, there's an essay. I love Anime Fem. Oh, okay, perfect, yeah. great. Uh I don't read it regularly, so I don't know um, its reliability, they're, but... They're pretty legit. Great to know. There is a historical essay called The Surprisingly Queer-Friendly Narrative of Cyber Six by Patricia C. Baxter. Uh, and there's a great point they make where, in the comic, how Cyber Six comes to adopt this male identity of Adrian Seidelman, it's explained in the comic. She comes across a car accident where one of the victims was this Adrian Seidelman, which she kind of resembles. So she just adopts the identity so that she can stay hidden away from Von Richter and his weird team of monster Nazis. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. In the cartoon, it's never explained. Yeah, she just shows up as a dude. Yeah, there is no uh, effort to explain why does she feel the need to disguise herself in another gender. Never explained. And yeah. because of that ambiguity, trans people have been able to just read trans people and gender questioning or fluid people have been able to just kind of read their own reasoning into it and just fill in the blanks with their own experiences yeah why not i think there's it there's something to be said about like how maybe it it's easier to to hide when like they're looking for a hot lady so they're not gonna they're not gonna question just this this dude teacher but also just mm-hmm. It kind of works for the for the character's relationship to such such fluidity. Yeah, and it's like maybe maybe Cyber Six just decided I don't know maybe I'll be a guy for the day. Yeah, and in in both cases there are there are elements of the like the the base persona of Cyber Six in both Adrian and the superhero character that they inhabit, but that fluidity in a way the the fact that it's presented so naturally. Mm-hmm. It's it's really refreshing to see, especially for a again a nineteen ninety nine series. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's nice to have like like a gender fluid or like a cross dressing character where like you're not having endless jokes made at the very concept of this. No, yeah, there, there's a difference between something like this and like a Ranma, which Ranma is still very great. Yeah. But like this isn't this isn't a source for humor. This is just like a part of the baseline for the show. It's it's a source of drama and trauma for her because yeah. the, the the attempts to keep the identities separate is really it's like it's like the main focal point, the main dramatic point of the series. Yeah, it's it's putting a strain on their relationships with other people, as both Cyber Six or Adrian. And you just. You just wonder why this has resonated with queer people up to this day. Gosh, I wonder <laughs> and why. And gender questioning people. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you, you could you could levy a couple of things against uh, uh, some criticism against Cybersix. Like there is so, some people have pointed out there is a um, like a little gender essentialism woven through this uh, series. Um, some critics have said that others have not. It's it's all dependent on what episodes you're focusing on and what story beats you're talking about. It's just people are really charitable to Cyber Six because both considering the source material that it's based off of, mm -hmm. which is, again, violently sexual and violently <laughs> violent. Uh-huh. And the fact that... The fact that superhero comics media at the time was not exactly progressive in terms of LGBT representation and exploration. And even cartoons as well, where you just pointed out most gender fluidity in characters was treated as a joke or an aberration. Yeah. Like any sort of character cross-dressing that is set up in punchline. Yeah, like in the same essay... Um, that Patricia Baxter wrote. Uh, she mentions the character, was, was it him from Powerpuff Girls? Yeah. Which, that, that's recently been reclaimed, and uh, a lot of people are very much living for that character. <laughs> but at the time, it was absolutely a joke on that gender ambiguity. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for something like Powerpuff Girls, where, like, femininity was kind of, like, the core of all of your heroes and most of your villains oh my god powerpuff girls was the first turf series oh my god it might actually be we've cracked it oh my god i have not watched enough powerpuff girls in a long time <laughs> to be able to definitively say whether or not it is it's it's probably not but it, i just like the way that sounded so i said it i have a microphone in front of my face so i can say whatever i want yeah, and have no consequences none whatsoever Cyber Six is great. Cyber Six is great. Yeah. So, what is this uh, this plot specifically about? Because there there were two there were the two like uh, episodes I sent to you which had potential, like the pilot, and there was an episode directed by a person who went on to work with Studio Ghibli, which would have been fascinating. Yeah. Which I mean makes sense because TMS did do the um, Castle of Cagliostro, so like. Yep. Uh, Hayao Miyazaka and I believe Takahata also worked for TMS. Like, makes sense. So, makes sense. Like they they branched off to create Studio Ghibli, so it makes sense that a lot of the directors have worked at both. But there's also like two episodes I consider it as well, and both involved um, both heavily involved Cyber Six slash Adrian's uh, relationships with the two people in her life. Uh, Two people in her life who are, like, romantic interests. Because that's the most fun! Yeah, one was, like, the third episode, which is heavily revolving around Lucas and Cyber Six's relationship. And this episode, which revolves around one of Adrian's students falling in love with her. Yeah, because, I, so we've got Lori, who, um... I mean, Lori's had a crush on Adrian since episode one. That was like her, her basically her introduction. Um, but but this episode really hammers in the like, oh no, she is like obsessed with him. So she uh, she manages to find out where he lives uh, through some really uh, really irresponsible um, bureaucratic nonsense. Some some poor administration of the school in yeah. Meridiana. 
Yeah, that she was able to find his address, goes to, uh, to bring him a present, and sees Cyber Six there, and is, like, so disgusted at the thought that he has a girlfriend, because how dare an adult be dating someone who isn't his student, um, and she gets, because she's around, she accidentally gets embroiled in one of Jose's, uh, recent bank robbery attempts. So Cyber Six has to go save her. And it it just like really this episode is really um, indicative of this dramatic thrust of the series where the two identities of Cyber Six are like converging at very inconvenient and problematic points Mm -hmm. where someone from Adrian's life who is in love with him is now has now been absorbed into the superhero life of Cyber Six and the very mixed emotions of that because you know at the end of the day there's not a lot differentiate differentiating cyber six and uh adrian physically correct so we it, this is another case where we can look at that weirdly obsessive love of laurie and wondering like how far does that go yeah i was honestly a little disappointed that she didn't end up also in love with cyber six it feels like that's where it was going. Cause I, yeah, because Cyber Six is the one who rescues her when when shit goes sideways. And also because uh, Lucas and Adrian had had a conversation because Adrian is obviously concerned about having a student who's in love with him. And Lucas is like, ah, she'll find somebody else to, to latch on to. So I thought that that was setting up Lori developing a crush on Cyber Six. And, and there's like a weird moment when Cyber Six does rescue Lori, where there's a, I would call it like a game recognized game moment, mm-hmm. where where she says something along the lines of like, "So, you're Adrian Squeeze, huh? Like the outfit." Yeah, she also like when she first sees Cyber Six in the apartment, refers to uh, refers to her as Adrian's kinky girlfriend. I I love that line. Yeah, she's like full full leather. She's like, oh my god, he's got a leather fetish. Like, yeah, what, what is the real conflict there? Is that is it that Adrian is taken, or that he has a fetish that Laurie possibly can't understand? Yeah. I it, it feels like a little bit of both. Complex sexual politics at play in yeah. Cyber 6, to yeah, say the least. there's a lot going on. But, yeah, so, like, the episode kind of ends with Laurie's crush instead turning onto Lucas, but I don't believe that goes anywhere for the rest of the show. No, I do believe she remains fixated on Adrian as, like, the object of her yeah. obsession. And possibly, because I do believe that she she develops a sort of friendship, partnership with Cyber Six as, like, a person-on-the-street kind of deal. Well, yeah, because Lori's whole deal is, like, she's part, like, she's a bit of a street urchin. She's got, she's uh, got rough friends. But also, she's, like, a bit of the guy in the chair, yeah, something like that. She's got she's got tech savvy. When Jose the Nazi boy loses his program for this massive drill machine and it gets confused with one of Lori's CDs that she uses for her Walkman. Yep. Man, 1999. <laughs> this is a problem you do not have today. Which is a shame. That's that's the fun thing about like a lot of um a pre basically anything pre cell phone. Uh, you, you can, you can have a lot more, uh, easy access to drama. And that's a shame. Yeah, it's, it's a little, a little disappointing. I'm very, 
very obsessed with Jose as a character. <laughs> this little Nazi child? This Nazi clone of the bigger Nazi von Richter, uh-huh. um, who is running his own scams under his father's nose for some reason. Yeah, because he wants to prove that he's a genius. I really, like, he is the most, because we don't see much of Von Richter in this episode. He only appears in a uh, television screen behind a painting to chastise his son for not finding the missing cyber. Mm -hmm. But, like, also, Jose is the only remaining kind of vestige of of their, them being, like, Nazi-coded. Because he's dressed like a Hitler youth. And he also goose steps. He sure does. It's so weird how they were able to keep that element intact. <laughs> Why would you not want to erase every single element of the Nazism of the original comic? Why, why well, would you want to keep that part in? Honestly, I think that's because this, this is the 90s, and that was, for some reason, it was easier to have Nazis be the villains. Like, I mean, there was basically decades worth of material even for children where explicitly nazis are just the villains and then for some weird reason now that became a weird thing to do like that's a that's a newer development of being like oh well we can't just say it's the nazis that's that's inappropriate yeah not even that it's cliche that it's weirdly inappropriate yeah because we for some weird reason have decided that we care about protecting Nazis' feelings. Cyber 6 says punch Nazis. Cyber 6 says kill Nazis. Should we talk a bit, like, about the... about the panther? Oh. My other favorite character. You mean the best character, Data 7? Cyber 6's cloned brother that had his consciousness transferred into a super-powered panther. Just like every every superhero needs a super pet yeah that's just the laws of the laws of being a superhero is eventually you get a fun little pet just a little guy to follow you around and help you my favorite moment in this episode is when Lori eavesdrops on cyber six comforting the panther and assumes that she is talking lovingly to to Adrian. Yeah, no, Panther just had a really bad day. <laughs> it's like, hey, do you want to, like, just lie down on the bed? Tell me about it. What's wrong? And, like, and the Panther like, doesn't talk. No, it just growls and looks menacingly at things. As but, it should. He's yes, a go- but he's that, a good that misunderstanding is really funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you don't understand. I was just talking to my genetically altered Panther brother. Don't ask questions. It's, no, like, Lori, it's a common mistake. No, I'm not, I'm not having a relationship with Adrian. I was just using his apartment to calm down my panther friend. What? Like, Happens all the time. Like, you don't? No, I would like a super-powered panther friend who does more fighting in this episode than Cyber Six does. Yeah, yeah, she's, she, she does a lot of, like, scampering, a lot of running around, but the panther's the one kicking Nazi ass. What what are these things called? These like weird, uh, tough, gruff monster thugs. They, like they're called like fixed ideas or something. Yes, that, that is that is what they are. What um, it what are what is that name? I have no idea, but they are like basically a source of this like fluid 
that Cyber 6 requires in order to question mark, question mark, question mark, stay alive, I guess? You see, Cyber 6, she uh, ticks all the boxes of fetishes. Mm-hmm. Like, she, uh, clad in leather, mm-hmm. tough as fuck, uh-huh. vampire. Mommy, and, sorry. And... Mommy, sorry. Yes, yes. No, no, no. Get it out of your system. Uh-huh. And also, and also, androgynous. Yeah. This is like unleashing a nuclear bomb on a kid's <laughs> developing, like, sexual awakening. Like, during their development, when they're, when they're understanding things about themselves. Uh-huh. To expose them to this, it's like... Yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out... Where I, where I stand in the... Oh. 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 Uh-huh. It's a lot. It's a lot. It is, it's a lot. <laughs> when you really break it down to its elements, it's like, wow, there is a lot going on it's a, here. It's a lot to take in. It, it has irreparably damaged many a child in Canada. For the and thank better. you. Yeah, for the thank be- you for, for the better. Uh, let's just talk a bit about the look and style of the show. Oh, why it looked like that? I mean, we can it's it's TMS. Yeah. It's fucking gorgeous. It is incredibly fluid animation that really it, it mostly keeps uh Meglia's clean kind of angular expressive look of the comic art intact. Mm-hmm. Like these are his character designs. This is his weird way of drawing hairstyles i love those blocky hairs and it translates so well to tms's like house animation style that they they were cultivating at the time this Mm. much edgier and darker kind of look yeah it's perfect for it 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 suits the style of the show it suits the style of the of the studio i it especially uh in terms of like use of shadows Having these already oh, blocky built designs built in makes like your real chunky shadows even better. It's, it's such a darker and moodier look than you would get with most shows at the time. Out outside of ironically another TMS production, Batman the Animated Series that yep. had the that was like heavily inspired by German expressionism, but the like the purple and blue tones of this urban sprawl that represent this city it's gorgeous mm-hmm. there, there's so much tone and texture to every shot here like this urban gothic show i love it yeah it's it's such a good look i i love the care the expression animation like especially for Lori because she's i think as like the youngest uh main character here she's she gets to be the most broad in her expressions her and jose yeah and th- yeah, they're functionally like the kids of the show. But Jose apparently isn't a child? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, because, guess what? In the comic, uh, he has a harem of sex slaves. <sighs> you didn't want to know that, but I felt it was necessary to bring that up. That This is one of those rare occasions where the adaptation is better than the source material. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that from a few sources, like... Even people who did read the comics going like, normally I'm not on board with like toning things down for for a younger audience, but it kind of works better for this for this concept. 
You know what? I'm I'm just glad that in this big kind of introductory episode to to uh, Lori that we get, she doesn't also uh, whip out her tits and yeah. shell them into the face of Jose. Yeah, I'm. That's nice. I am really on board with with her not doing that. This, what, 15, 16 year old girl? Yeah, let's not do that. Yeah, I don't know if this is a high school or like a college. I'm because it's toned down here. Oh wait, no, it is. It, it is a high school. I, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. I just I just found I'm looking at the shot where uh, Lori gets um, Adrian's address, and this there is like an Meridia High School stamp seal on the page. There's also the title of his BA thesis. That's a detail. Yeah, this? Uh, really. So so Adrian uh, Seidelman's BA thesis is the Canterbury Tales and Dadaism in Modern English. <laughs> Where's the rest of the essay, guys? Oh, God. That's... That's wonderful. What a detail to include. So, so with, like, the, the movement of the this show, it's... Like, we've already mentioned the cape. Yeah. But everything in this, it is so fluid, so clean, so beautifully rendered. Yeah, especially also as an action series. The, this show really gets to shine in the in the fight sequences. Definitely, yeah. I'm I'm thinking specifically there are two shots I'm thinking about where you can see the budget on screen. Mm-hmm. It's it's the one shot of all of the fixed ideas rushing into that tunnel and the the like the mining tunnel and then the tunnel subsequently collapsing. Yeah, that's that's like an effect animator having a having a I don't know if it's a good time, but it's a time. Just a gorgeous sequence of animation. And then immediately after, it's Jose in the drill machine breaking through the ground, like, above ground. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And just just the perspective and lighting in those shots of this giant mechanical mole monster breaking through the ground and scaring the shit out of some guy with a boombox. Yeah. As, Lovely stuff. You know, just 90s stuff. Uh, similar area, I'm also really fond of this close-up shot of Lori uh, doing some hacker bullshit on the computer, and, like, the fluidity of that finger animation. Oh, God. Her and Jose both. It's like, yeah. they took some time on those. Yeah, like, normally, especially hands, hands are hard to draw, they're hard to animate, and so a lot of the times people will take just, like, shortcuts and just cut the hands out of the shot. But no, not the, not Cyber Six. They're like, no, 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 no. No, they no, did no. not shy away. We're gonna have, we're gonna go crazy. Get stupid. Yeah, and again, you you've mentioned it, but just the expressive the expressiveness in Lori as she's doing that, like the amount of character that is presented through her animation. Yeah, she is she is a smug brat, who is helping out this this hot lady, and she's having a good time doing it because she also because who wouldn't? Yeah, because she's getting to fuck over a Nazi child while she's doing it. This is why we need this show today. <laughs> yes. Not only because of its progressive, pr- its progressive representation of gender questioning, fluidity, and possible trans identity, but also because it has a very hardline stance on what you should do to Nazis, and you should, you should know. You, you, should, you should know. Just what to do ruin their day. Bare minimum, make them miserable. This is the Antifa super soldier that the conservatives are saying that the Democrats are harboring away. <laughs> God, I wish. I wish the Democrats had a Cyber Six on their hands. 
Because that would be the only sexy thing about the Democrats. Yeah, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah. They, they, they would try and say, like, but, you know, we can also just talk with the Nazis, right? Yeah, we, we, can, we, can, we can put her in some, like, she doesn't have to be wearing leather. Put her in a pantsuit. <laughs> put her in a fucking pantsuit. Let's look in a bit on the cast. Why sure. does Cyber Six sound like Why that? Why it sound like that? Well, we got a few. Uh, we're we're we got a few old old favorites. Um, coming in hot at number one is as both Cyber Six and Adrian is uh, Kathy Wesseluck. Great, great performance. Uh, yeah, as both. Like I I love the subtle differences between the two. Yeah, like it's. Her, her, her voice for Adrian isn't, like, a lot lower. Like, I, uh, just, this show makes me think of Mulan for obvious reasons. Um, specifically in, like, Adrian's relationship with, uh, with Lucas, where it's just, like, where's, where's the moment where he realizes that Adrian is Cyber Six and is like, what do you mean? What do you mean he's not a cute twink? <laughs> I want, I want Lucas to be disappointed that his boyfriend is is a hot lady. Yeah, as soon as he, like, discovers, like, the nature of Adrian and Cyber Six, he loses all interest. He's like, oh. <laughs> you mean I was with... I mean, I mean, this wasn't, like, a... I'm not gonna get a threesome? Can you... Can you put the tie back on? <laughs> yes! For me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, re- I really like her, her subtle differences in... I love her performance as Adrian. I love her performance as Cyber Six. It's the exact same voice, but just a little bit breathier just, when she's Cyber Six. Yeah. You can tell. You can just, immediately tell, just, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very fond of just not going hard line for like, oh, and I'm pretending to be a man, I'm gonna talk like this. And then, like, get really girly. Like, nothing extreme, and I'm very happy for that. It, it's, it's what I kind of wanted from the original dub of Ranma, where it's like, I was originally convinced, like, oh yeah, they're the same actress, right? Doing both gender presentation, and it wasn't, but... Yeah. In this case, it's making much more of a statement by having uh, Kathy do both voices. Yeah, and fundamentally not really sound terribly different. No, not at all. Because in that case, especially when you've got characters who know both Adrian and Cyber Six, it then speaks more to, uh, to these characters, like, to, like, I don't know. I'll get I'll get into it. It speaks to like your your built-in ingrained like societal expectations of this is a man, this is a woman. That like even of though gender the, performance, yeah, yeah. even though the voice is fundamentally the same, other characters aren't going to question it because they're like, "Oh, well this is a woman. This clearly couldn't be Adrian." No, that voice is coming out of uh, a guy wearing spenders, a tie, a big overcoat. I love the I love the coats both him and Lucas. They have matching coats. They have, Boyfriends. <laughs> God, even like their their seat, like their confrontation that they have at fucking sunset on the bridge. They're in love. That is a betrayed lover scene. Yeah. That is like, so you and you and her, huh? O- okay. No, um, you don't understand. I, I, but but he wants to understand. He wants Adrian to explain it, but he can't. It's it's complicated. Well, let me know. It's yeah, like wow, let, this is yeah. It's basically Lucas asking to be let in. Like he knows that Adrian is putting up walls, and he feels like that means that Adrian doesn't trust him, and he's hurt. Rightly, come out to me, says Lucas. Exactly. 
I am a safe person. You can come out to me. I still love you. And speaking of that, uh, Michael Dobson's is Lucas. Yes. Fantastic. Oh my god. What a performance. He gets so much, like, there's so much subtle, like, character acting in this. That's Yeah. It's such a good show for, because a lot of these voice actors do mostly, like, children's cartoons. Uh, and, uh, like, anime dubbing. And so there isn't always a lot of opportunity for them to flex that they are really good vocal actors. They can get a lot of, like, nuanced performances. And they don't get something as heavy as, like, that scene between Adrian <sighs> and Lucas. But, like, there's a, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of layers to that conversation that have to come out through their performance. And in both cases, with, 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 Cassie, with Kathy's, like, affectation to the voice to make it more masculine, and Lucas very earnestly saying things that are not to Adrian, but to Cyber Six at the same time. Yeah! It's great. It's heartbreaking. I am, again, I'm absolutely going to be finishing this show probably tonight. It's that good. It's yeah. a and short, there's not a lot. Yeah, it's 13 episodes. I can plow through it in one evening. Should have been more. Should have been more. Um, and then as, uh, as our other lead for this episode, Lori, we've got uh, Janice Jowd, who I don't think we've come across yet. I don't believe so either. Um, obviously, same, she's, same, uh, stable of, like, anime casting, like, Maison Koku, Inuyasha, Dragon Ball Z, the works. Um. This was a Vancouver production. It sure was! Uh, but she absolutely, I, she gets to have, I think, the most fun out of any of the actors. She's just having a ball being, like, this absolutely insane 16-year-old. Just a snide 90s teen. Yeah, she's she's having a blast. And uh, just doing a, doing a great job, because, like, she is at no point not annoyed by the world around her. Yeah, like, even when she's flirting with Adrian, she's still doing it like a shitty 90s teen. Or, like, he pulls her headphones out and she's like, I'm not sorry. <laughs> like, hell yeah, Lori, get it. She was having a romantic fantasy of him reading to her over tea. Yeah. That's not what a 16-year-old gang member would fantasize about. <laughs> right? Like, her affection for him is so sincere. It's so earnest, and that's why we were both convinced that, like, yeah, it can transcend gender. Yeah. Like, she Cyber loves the person, Cyber not, not the identity. Her. Exactly. <laughs> Loved her performance. Yeah, she's, she's into twinks, and that's why her uh, little, like, flirty quip at Lucas at the end doesn't translate. No, yeah, that's a completely different type. Uh, Lucas is... Okay, he's built like a fucking police detective for a <laughs> right? science teacher. Man works out. I think, I think he does box, canonically. Makes sense. Yeah. But, like, he looks like a grizzled police detective, <laughs> not unlike the brick shithouse that is Detective Bullock from Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the same guy, different hat. Barrel-chested, I would call him. <laughs> yes. Didn't He didn't have lines in this episode, but I legally have to point out that Data 7, when he speaks, is voiced by Scott McNeil. Just have to. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Yep. yep. Uh, just gotta point out when, when my guy is here. Um, and just rounding out for this episode, as our little Nazi child, Jose, we've got Alex uh, Doduk. Alex, Alex Doduk. I believe there is 
a specific role of his that we've come across before. Uh, well, very most importantly, he's Jimmy in Scary Godmother. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's his Ma- one that matters. Yes, he's done other stuff. Doesn't matter. He's Jimmy in Scary Godmother. Man, shit heal kids. Yeah. That's, he's good at them. He's He's got a voice. He's got a type. And he nails it sniveling piece of shit child he's just really good at it be it a be it just like a simple bully character or a literal clone of a nazi yeah sometimes he's got that voice yeah uh same 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 character same character yeah (laughs) man given enough time jimmy from scary godmother could have been radicalized on the internet you don't know yeah if he if he wasn't like adopted by uh the halloween gays he absolutely would have slipped down the alt-right pipeline Oh, God, yeah, he would appear at G- Jan 6. Still yeah. in the devil costume, I think. Yes, he absolutely never changed out of it. But he's fine. He's fine. He learned. Good. Yeah. Jose will never learn because that Nazism is in his blood, literally. Literally, yeah. I mean, also, that's what happens when you've got, like, daddy issues and your daddy is a Nazi. <sighs> like, he's he's going to do horrific things in the name of impressing his, his Nazi father. God, that is... I need to make right by my disgusting, vulture-like Nazi dad. Yeah. Who is voiced by Terry fucking Classen. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He was, also, he was also a writer on this show, eh? No way. Yeah, he, uh, he was an episode writer. Oh, I did not know that. Good for him. Yeah, he wrote episodes 6, 8, and 11. Ooh, multiple. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, in, betwe- in between... Playing the the shit heel Nazi father, and to this to this day on his IMDb, Cyber Six is the first one mentioned for known for as Somehow. it should be. Like literally right underneath that is oh yeah, and he also voiced some characters in a show called Dragon Ball Z. You may yes, not have heard of it, whatever. or the character you know Krillin, Master Roshi. They're not important. Yeah, but he he wrote and acted in Cyber Six, so it's probably what he's most proud of playing the. Not really a Nazi because we toned it down, but still a fucking still Nazi. Definitely a Nazi. First off, we don't get a lot of his performance, but it's it's a really good villain kind of voice that he's yeah. using for it. Just just some classic. Don't disappoint me, lad. Ah, God, yeah, like, and you could tell that um, there is a version of the show where he originally had a German accent. Oh, absolute hundred percent. And they said, eh, we got away with the goose-stepping. We got away with Jose goose-stepping. Let's not put it too far. Let villains be explicitly Nazis so that we can punch them. I'm still surprised they were able to get away with Jose just having the uniform of a Hitler youth. Especially the haircut. Especially the hair. It's so unambiguous. Like, there's no other way to read that. Speaking of, though, I'm very fond of the design choice to have, like, extra hairs be just these little chunky rectangles. It's weird. Like, even Lucas's, uh, cause he's big, big, burly, strong guy, so he's got, like, hairy forearms, and they're just these little blonde... Yellow tubes. rectangles, yeah. yeah. I, I was, I'm also thinking specifically when Lori goes to the principal's office, and the guy sitting next to her has the wildest haircut I think I've ever seen in animation. I love it. It's so silly. I just, don't know how to describe just it. This this boy with like three strands of hair, none of them facing the same direction. And all thick and rectangular. Yeah. 
he looks like he should be in Ed, Ed and Eddie. Like this, Good call. Yeah, this this hair design belongs. He's the fourth Ed somehow. He is one of the neighborhood kids. Yeah. Of that cul-de-sac, yeah. Yeah. And this is what happens when he went to, when he goes to high school. He he moves to Argentina. That is being besieged by Nazis at the time. Yeah, yeah. Just... A Nazi supervillain specifically. Yeah, you yeah, know, just normal Argentina things. Yeah, normal Argentina things. Still a problem there. Yeah. Yeah, it is generational. And just real, real quick, uh, that is most of the cast from this episode, uh, or all the cast from this episode. Yeah, all the ones that matter for for this episode. Real quick, just to shout out um, the singer of the theme song, Coral Egan. Hell um, yeah. Fantastic job. You created history with your performance here. We were talking before, this this opening sequence is, like, definitely top three of show openings. Top three, definitely. Like, I, what can possibly beat it? Martin Mystery. No, that's a mm. lie. It's in contention. I would put that in top ten. If we're talking about, like, Canadian animated yeah, opening themes. We, which we are. We're narrowing the field very specifically yeah. to that. Like, um, this... Ooh, what about Clone High? That's up there, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That Abandoned Pool song is up there, but there's just something about the operatic severity of Egan's performance here. Yeah, it's so... It, it, it fits the vibe of, of the show so well. It's elegant. Yeah, it's Coming classy. Coming at you live from the auspicious... Just a beautiful song for a beautiful cartoon. It's only 13 episodes, sadly. Yeah. You can get through it in an afternoon. And I will. We should have had a lot more Cyber 6, but yeah. you know what? The world wasn't ready. It, it really wasn't. Maybe maybe now we are, though. I'm honestly, I'm going to just real quick, I'm going to do a little fan fiction corner. Uh, do you want me to just say, like, what's the point? Because obviously there's going to be a fuckload, right? There's got to be a lot. Only 70. Wow, this was obscure. Right? Wait, that's on AO3. I also, I did do, like, a quick live journal check. It's, there are, like, a lot more posts about it on live journal. Um, mostly from, like, the mid-2010s, I think, was when it, it got a, it got, like, sort of a, a resurgence. That's when a lot of the boom of popularity starts to come back. On fanfiction.net, there are 60. Not enough. Not enough! Like, especially for how, like blatantly horny this show is for like the number of people i know who have had said like this was my sexual awakening it's like i i'm sorry i need some domestic fluff about adrian and luca uh, lucas like right now we need more come on need, we need more cyber Any six fandom rise up so is that gonna be the closing thought for <laughs> yeah yeah i think so All right. So thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, the final installment of our Pride programming month. We now made it. Now it's Pride, or now it's Gay Wrath. I'm not going to find, I, I'm not going to put in the work to program a Wrath month. Thank you very much. Okay. This is hard enough for me. That's okay. <laughs> if you like what you heard this month or this episode, and how could you not, please consider giving us a like, share, 
review, subscribe, all that stuff on your podcatcher of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts, because it helps us reach the widest possible audience. You can find the show on Twitter at Cartoon Night Pod, where we release episodes every Saturday. Except when we don't! Which we didn't. We, we made it! We did it every Saturday this month. We're fucking professionals. 69. Nice! You yeah, can find myself on Twitter at CinemaCreeb, where I will do my part to make the Cyber 6 fandom rise up. Uh, and you can find me at Sylvie Skeletons, but I guess because I'm gonna be uh, writing some domestic Lucas X Adrian fluff, um, you probably won't hear from me for a couple months. Yeah, in the next episode, we'll plug your AO3 account. Yeah, yeah. Did you lose the password to the other one, or were you banned no, for something? No, I just cannot be convinced. That was defensive. I, I feel like you were banned for something. <laughs> no, I wasn't banned. There's just stuff on there that you can't know about. Well, now this is getting interesting. This is forbidden. <laughs> uh, I'll find out one day. No. Have a good one, everybody. Happy Pride one last time. Happy Pride!